Chapter Seventeen of Some Everyday Folk and Dawn by Miles Franklin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mrs. Bray and Carrie come to issues. Contention arose in the Clay household next day. Dawn's singing lessons being at the root of the trouble, it was her week in the kitchen, and that she should be two days absent from the cooking displeased Carrie. Well, if you don't think the place fair, you can go," said Grandma. "But I think you're a fool, and you've given me a lot of worry. It's all very fine in other people's places, but some day, when you have a home of your own, you'll know the worry of it. Next time I make our arrangement with a girl, she'll have to take an extra day in the kitchen without humbugging." "I'll vote for me Grandma on that bill," said Andrew. "For I've often been give the pip by who is in the kitchen and who is out of it. Grandma, did you hear the latest?" Young Jack Bray's been in another orange orchard, and didn't do a get quick enough, and has got took up, and his father will have to pay money to keep him out of quad. The old lady bristled. Didn't I tell you? Who knows how to receive these things best now? I've always believed in rarin' my family me own way, and Mrs. Bray is a fine woman, moral and decent, but she's got too many stones to throw at others, and doesn't see to it sharp enough that less stones can't be thrown at her. I thought she didn't take it serious enough. You'd have been in this too, only for me dreading the spark. What are they going to do? Pay the money, of course, and Mr. Bray is going to tan the hide off, Jack. Some people don't get frightened of dishonesty unless it costs them something, said the old lady. Well, I'll vote for me grandma every time, said Andrew, and Jim Clay every second time, as he went out the door. And myself the most times of all. He concluded in the backyard. Mrs. Bray dropped in that afternoon for a chat, and Grandma mentioned that we were without afternoon tea because Carrie had jacked up about getting it for reasons before mentioned. Just like her, said Mrs. Bray. She gives herself as much side as if she was one of us. She's the sort of girl who wouldn't think twice of telling you to do a thing yourself, and you've made an awful fool of her by making so much of her. Them things of girls, earning their own livin', ought to be kept in their place more," was the utterance of a woman who believed herself a staunch advocate for the freedom of her sex. But when Mrs. Bray spoke of sex, she meant self. "That ain't the point," said Grandma. "I never think it anything but a credit to a girl to be earning her livin', and would never be narrow enough to make them feel it." I always make a practice of treatin' the girls as near equal as within reason, for Carrie's every bit as fine-lookin' and good a girl as me own. And if I wasn't here, wouldn't Dawn have to be foragin' for herself too? But there's reason in everything, and Carrie might be a bit obligin'. Of course she ought to be, but what could you expect of her? Took up with that Larry Whitcomb, and does the ass think he really wants her? He's only got her on a string for his own amusement. He goes to see that Dora Cowper at the same time. Jack's seen him there. I wonder will he be scared off by being thought a catch before the pot's boiled, so to speak. Good catches, eh? I don't see nothing in none of them. They're only thought something because men are scarce here. They've all cleared out to the far-out places and West Australia. It's like a year the pumpkins are scarce. You can sell little things you'd hardly throw to the pigs another time, and that's the way it is with the few poultry fellows round here. It makes me mad to see the girls after them. 
the fools and the men grinning behind their backs there's that ada grosvenor if you it just calls up and talks to her she tells you about it as if it was something and inviting him down there and then the blessed fellows gets to think they're gods it makes me sick yes said grandma i see the girls after fellows now there's that danby for instance he's a fine lump of a man but when i was a girl i wouldn't have made toe rags of a policeman yes a blessed fellow strolling up and down the street looking at his toes or running in a drunk i say did you hear the latest about old rooney molyneux he didn't believe in women having the vote didn't consider they had the intellect to vote so he says not as much brain as he has don't you see to marry a woman and a baby to be coming and nothing to put on its back while he strolls round and gets drunk but now they've got the vote he says the great lord muck rooney molyneux says it remember that it is their duty to use it and he intends to make mind you make i'd like to hear a man say he'd make me do anything i'd scold him see if i wouldn't and that's what wants doing with half the men anyhow for the way they carry on to women and he's going to make his wife go around canvassing now men make me sick when they're boys they're that troublesome they ought to be kept under a tub and when they get older they're that cantankerous and self-important they all want killing off i'll bet mrs rooney won't be working for a different man to him if her convictions led her that way you'd see he'd have a float about her not being fit to be out of her home said grandma astutely yes that's the way with them first they thought the world would tumble to pieces if women stirred out of the house for a minute to vote and now that we've got the vote in spite of them they'd make their wives walk round after votes for their side whether they was able or not they kicked again us having the vote and now we've got it they think we ought to vote with them like as if we was a appendage of theirs men will be learnt different to that by and by but it's best to go gradual they've had as much as they can swallow for a time ain't it just the very devil to them to think women is considered as important as themselves now instead of something they could just do as they like with old hollis there says he won't vote this year because the women have won did you ever hear of an insult like that he says the monkeys will have a vote next and that shows you what men think of women like as if they were some sort of animals well if you ask me said grandma the monkeys have been having a vote all along in the case of old hollis any further discussion in this line was terminated by the entrance of carrie with her good-looking face flushed and hard set as rolling down her sleeve and buttoning it aggressively as the finishing touch to her toilette after completing her afternoon's work she confronted mrs bray on battle bent well mrs bray i'd like to have given my opinion of you to your teeth long ago but i held my tongue as it wasn't my house and some people have different tastes and have folk around that i'd be a long time having anything to do with now i think things do concern me and i'm going to have my say i couldn't have it sooner because i'm a thing earning my living and had to finish my work i haven't got a home of my own and like some people if i had i'd be in it teaching my dirty rude brats not to be thieves 
I wouldn't for everlasting be at other people's places scandalising people twice as good as myself. I didn't think Mrs. Clay was the sort of person to go tittle-tattling. She can please herself. But it doesn't concern you if I do put on airs. I want to know what you mean by that I should be kept in my place. I swear I know how to carry my day as well as you do, and to keep in my place too well to be going round meddling with other people's business. I didn't say nothing but was correct. And what right have you to come bullying me? It's like your impudence. You are hussy out to work for your living at a few shillings a week, and calling yourself a lady help when you're a servant. That's what you are. To bully me, a woman with a good home and the mother of a family. Carrie snorted contemptuously. That old mother of a family racket needn't be brought forward. It doesn't hold as much water as it used to. Women are thought just as much of now who are good useful workers in the world and not tied up to some man and the mother of a few weedy kids that aren't any credit to king or country. Mercy! exclaimed Grandma. What am I to do? Let em fight it out, I laconically advised in an aside, and she seemed disposed to take my advice. You dare! blustered Mrs. Bray. And what else have you got to say? I want an explanation of the aspersion on my character when you said I had taken up with Larry Whitcomb. I'm not going to stand anything on my character in that line if I am earning my living, and you are the mother of one or fourteen families, all as great a credit to you as the one Jack represents. And, as for me earning my living, what are you doing? If a man wasn't keeping you to suit himself, how would you be earning your living? I could earn my living the same way as you are doing tomorrow if I liked it, but of the two, I think my present occupation is the decentest and less dependent. Apart from your bullying selfishness, a nice sensible way you have of talking. If you killed off the men, who would you have to keep you? And that's a nice civilised way to speak about your fellow creatures anyhow. Whether they be men or black chins, they've just as much place in the scheme of creation as you have. We would have been a long time getting the vote or any other decent right if the men were like you. It's because you are the same stamp as so many of the men that we've been kept down so long as we have. And now, what about me taking up with Larry Whitcomb? Well, it's well known what Larry is. Well, what is he? You ask him about Mrs. Park's divorce case. I hope you don't think your old man is a saint, do you? As big a fool as you are, you're surely not fool enough for that, are you? Perhaps he isn't as clean a potato as Larry if it was all brought out. But he's a married man this many a year, with a married daughter, and his young days are lived down long ago. Well, so would Larry be married many a year and have things lived down in time, and not as many to live down either as your husband has at present, if things are true. For all your everlasting shepherding, he gets off the chain sometimes. Hoity-toity, this was putting a fuse to gunpowder. You hussy! What have you got to say about my husband? Prove it, and I'll make short work of him. And if it's lies, I'll bring you into court for it. I'll leave it for you to prove. You're one of those who thinks every yarn entertaining till they touch yourself. Two to one on carry every time when me grandma's the umpire grinned Andrew, round the corner. Carrie, you've had enough to say. I forbid any more in my house, said Grandma, rising to order. 
I declare this a drawn fight, said Andrew. You can have it out with Mrs. Bray in her own house if you want to, but no more of it here, continued Grandma. Don't you dare come to my house, said Mrs. Bray. Your house, no fear, I never associate with scandal-mongers, contemptuously retorted Carrie, as Mrs. Bray made a precipitate departure, omitting something about a hussy who didn't know her place as she went. I'm surprised at you, said Grandma. Her tongue does run on a little sometimes, but you ought to remember she's old enough to be your mother, and girls do owe something to women with families. And women with families and homes ought to remember they owe something to girls that aren't settled, because they haven't got a man caught yet to keep them. Well, this ain't my quarrel, and don't you bring it up to me again. A woman that's reared a family, and two of them like I have done, has enough with her own dissensions. It was a rather sullen party at tea that evening, so Dawn's return from Sydney immediately after, with her cheeks radiant from travel in the quick evening express, and herself brimming over with her day's adventures, formed a welcome relief. "'I had a great time coming home,' said she. "'Mr. Ernest and Dora Eward both went to Sydney this morning, and Mr. Ernest and I raced into a carriage to escape Dora, and we did, and he must have asked the guard, for he found our carriage, but he only had a second-class ticket, and wouldn't be let in.' "'And how came you to be in a first-class carriage?' inquired Grandma. "'I can't stand that. There's expense enough as it is, and you'll better travel second. It wasn't my fault. Mr. Ernest bought the tickets like a gentleman should. It says in the etiquette book, and I couldn't fight with him there and then. You're always telling me to be more genteel. But I don't want strangers paying anything for my granddaughter. You needn't mind in this instance, I interposed. Mr. Ernest probably wished to be gentlemanly to Dawn because she has been so good to me. Once more I saw the little derisive smile flit across the exquisite face, but she said, "'Yes, he said that you're looking so well it must be our nursing, and that he will try and get Grandma to take him in if he falls ill. "'I wonder if he's going to get took bad, lovesick, like the other blokes,' said Andrew. Dawn cast a murderous glance at him, and covered the remark by making a bustle in sitting to her tea, and in retailing minute details of her singing lessons. We retired early, and she produced from the basket in which she carried her music a most pretentious box of sweets and various society papers. Mr. Ernest said you might like some of these, and I was to have a share because I carried them home, though he got the bus and brought me to the door, so I hadn't to walk a step. Good boy! What did he talk about today? I asked him about all the actresses he has seen. He's going to give me the autographed photos he has of them. You wouldn't think he'd like to part with them, but he says he's tired of them all now. They're nearly all married, and are back numbers. Actresses are only thought of for a little while, he says. That is the natural order of things, and applies to others as well as actresses. Pretty young girls are not pretty for long. They should see to it that they are plucked by the right fingers while their bloom is attractive. The old order falls ill-fittingly on some, but is fair in the main. We each have our fleeting hour. Yes, but where is there a desirable plucker? said the practical girl. There are scarcely any good matches, and the few there are have so many running after them that I wouldn't give them the satisfaction of thinking I wanted them to. True, good matches are few, 
in these luxurious times the generality of girls ideas of a good match being very advanced in short a man of sufficient wealth to keep them in petted idleness there can be no shade of reproach on women for this ambition it is but one outcome of the evolution of civilization and is merely a species of common sense on their part for the ordinary routine of marriage as instanced by the testimony of thousands of women ranked among the comfortably and happily married is so trying that girls do well to try for the most comfortable berths ere putting their heads in the noose and dora where was he all this time i asked oh he brought ada grosvenor home thought that would spite me she was in town too and you should just hear her after this the silly rabbit can't open her mouth but she tells you what this man did and that one said to her when all the time it's nothing but some ordinary courtesy they ought to extend to even black gins. End of chapter 17